How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Awesome. Hey, even if you're not, that's okay. You came to the right place uh, to be here uh, and to be yourself. If you are new today, we just want to say uh, welcome, and we are so glad that you're here, and we pray that every single one of you uh, feels welcomed uh, and encouraged in this place today. Uh, we know that uh, some of you are relatively new to Hope Des Moines. Maybe today is uh, your first day, or you're just new to Hope uh, in general, and uh, some of you have been coming uh, for a while and still kind of feeling things out, and others of you uh, have been coming for a long time, but it's on days like this whenever we kick off a new season that it's important to remind ourselves of what we're about. Why are we here? The coffee's pretty good, the donut holes are good, but I feel like there's some other reason that all of you have come to an elementary school gym in the middle of Des Moines today, right? Right? I mean, I know you really like each other, but there's got to be something a little bit bigger than that, and it's because we have been given a mission. Our mission statement at Lutheran Church of Hope, uh, we're going to throw that up on the screens, and let's just read this together with all the, the vigor and gusto that comes with kicking off September. Let's read that together. Reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. If you ever wonder, what are they doing there? What's going on at Hubble? What's going on at other campuses of Lutheran Church of Hope? That's why we exist. We exist because knowing Jesus Christ, remember this, knowing Jesus Christ is the greatest thing in the world. There is nothing else that I would rather talk to you about this morning. There is no other reason that we gather every single week but maybe to experience him for you today for the very first time, or maybe to go deeper. We desire to be a place where you and your entire family, your entire family, we love kids, keep bringing them, uh, you and your entire family can gather and that you can authentically discover what it looks like to follow Jesus. Christianity, one of our values at Hope is that Christianity is a growing experience. Christianity is not a consuming experience <laughs> where you just sit and kind of veg. Christianity is a growing experience. It's a movement, and we want you to get in on that movement today. And so we desire to be a place where you can come and authentically explore what that looks like, where you can come and simply be yourself. And so today I want to ask you a question as we uh, start this, this rally Sunday. How is your walk with God going these days? How's it going? How are things between you and your creator today? Let's think about that for a second. Because when you think about it, Rally Sunday is not just something that we invented or not just something that the church invented so that we could get new groups and classes kicked off. Oh, I'm sorry. I said kick off. <sighs> sorry, Hawkeye fans. I wasn't going to go there, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah. Wasn't going to bring it up. Uh, the word kickoff is a very touchy word for us today because right from the kickoff yesterday, I had a really bad feeling about the entire thing. Uh, but that's okay because I don't know if you know this. I did some deep theological reflection last night. I don't know if you know this, but actually as Hawkeye fans, we're uh, through this process of mourning we're actually becoming a lot more biblical than those of you that are Cyclone fans. You see, Scripture tells us that suffering produces endurance, right? And endurance produces character. And boy, are we people of high character these last couple years, right? Right? We are the most biblically uh, football, football fans out there. And we know ultimately that character produces what? 
Character produces hope. So you came to the right church, Hawkeye fans. You're in the right place. Cyclone fans, you can try another week. But Hope Des Moines is... <laughs> I'm kidding. Hope Des Moines is truly for Hawkeye fans. But uh, Cyclone fans, I just want to say this. Please, no gloating. I, I know some of you got it out. I saw some of you having these charismatic experiences during opening worship today because you're just kind of floating uh, on air today. And that's great. But just remember, you can worship that way every week, right? Not just on uh, a big win. But we are very, very happy for you, Cyclone fans. Now move on. But seriously, you've come to the right place not because of Lutheran Church of Hope. We're not pointing you to Lutheran Church of Hope today. We're pointing you to the one who is hope. And his name is Jesus Christ. The, the reason that we're here today. No matter why you came this morning, we want you to know that the God of the universe is here this morning to meet with you. And so I want to ask you that question about your walk with God again, but in a slightly different way. What kind of story are you living these days? What kind of story? What's the, what's the plot of your story? Is it more of a, when we think about different genres of, you know, movies or things like that, is it more of a drama these days? Is it high drama? Is it more of an action adventure? Or is your story these days more of a soap opera? Or maybe it's a romance right now. Or, I know for a lot of you, it's probably a comedy, right? Some of you are saying, John, you have no idea how much of a comedy it is, right? What's the plot of your story? What's it all about these days? And secondly, are you satisfied with it? Are you satisfied with where your story is going? Just soak in that for a second. Think about the, the, the storyline of what's been going on up until now in your life. Are you happy with how things are going? Are you, are, you, are you satisfied? Is there something deep inside of you that says, ah, this is it. I've, I've found it. I've, I've discovered it. Or did you think there might be something more? Many of you are probably familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, if you're kind of a nerd like I am. Are you familiar with Lord of the Rings? Okay, so it's kind of this weird sort of sci-fi ancient sort of uh, trilogy. And uh, there's these two little hobbits, these very short people with big ears, big, big and hairy feet, right? And they're hobbits and they're named Frodo and Sam. And they are entrusted with a ring and the mission of saving the world. And it's, the, it's at the end of the second of these three films that Sam looks at Frodo and he asks the question, I wonder what sort of story we've fallen into. I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. And whether you've watched the film or not, or whether you like these kind of movies or not, there is something powerful about this statement, isn't there? I wonder what sort of tale we've fallen into. I wonder what if we ask that question for ourselves. Because when you think about it, life is a story, isn't it? That's how it comes to us. Life doesn't come to us in this nice, orderly, check-the-box kind of fashion like a, like a math problem or an IRS form. Life comes to us day after day like a story does, scene by scene. You wake up and you don't know what will happen next. You don't get to know. You, you choose a college. You find a job. Maybe you fall in love. Maybe you experience the joy of children. But then the story has a way of throwing some curveballs your way. You lose your job. Your kids make painful decisions. 
Relationships are difficult. Work starts to seem like an endless routine. Life unfolds like a drama, doesn't it? Every day filled with unknowns. It's almost like we're, we're holding pages of our story and yet there's some significant parts of the plot that are missing. I, I, I don't have all the pages here, you might be saying. It's almost like we've kind of been dropped into the story and now as Christians we're trying to find our bearings. But we don't have a good sense of the rest of the plot so it's hard to make sense of our own story. One of the most uh, vivid uh, images that comes to mind when I, when I think about my own story, uh, my freshman year uh, in high school, I got one of the lead roles in the fall freshman play, The Pink Panther, okay? I thought it was a lead role because I got to be uh, murdered on a couch by an older woman. So that was my debut in my drama career, and that led me on to being a pastor. So um, I'm just kidding. So that was my big role, but I was so excited to get my playbook. And it, I, I just grabbed this book from home, but it was, it was something about this size. And so I went through the entire playbook. It was even thicker than this. And I highlighted all my lines because I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I knew all my stage entrances and exits. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I had everything highlighted in, in different colors and it was color coordinated and I was so excited. Well, growing up, we lived a couple blocks from the school and, and so I would walk to and from play practice at night. And I was coming home, and we had just done a read-through, and the next night was the first official rehearsal. And I was so excited, and I carried that playbook around with me, and like I guarded with my life, like I just had a claw on it. I just did not want anything to happen to it. So I am so giddy, and I'm so excited, and I'm running home from the first play practice, and I'm kind of skipping. I'm... I was, I don't know why I was doing that. Uh, so I was skipping and like, I don't know what happened, but my, <laughs> I was doing some high knees or something. And all of a sudden my knee went up and it hit my playbook and knocked it out of my hand. And guess where I was on the road? The gutter, right? I happened to be by the gutter. So the playbook pops out of my, uh, pops out, uh, off my knee and goes right down into the gutter. And I just have this go, <gasps> What? What just happened, right? So here, here I am. It's about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, there's not a lot going on in Story City at 10 o'clock at night. So I'm there and I'm staring down into the gutter going, oh no, this is, worse, this is a worse excuse than my dog ate my homework, right? It's covered in poo, right? I don't know what's in there, but it's gross, right? So I don't know what to do. So I'm like, ah, eh, my brother would like a good adventure. So I go home and get him. And first of all, we just get a rake because we think we can just kind of scoop the playbook out with a rake. Well, that doesn't work. And we're like, well, we don't know what to do. Get the dad, right? And how does the dad fix it? How do all men fix every problem that you have? Duct tape, that's right. So my dad <laughs> boils out the duct tape, right? And so th there we are, us three men go, and, and we're getting it. And my mom, she has no clue what's going on, but she's like, hey, free entertainment. So she comes along. So there goes the pastor's family, about 11 o'clock at night, marching down the street in story with, uh, with rakes and shovels and pitchforks and duct tape. And there we are standing, all four of us looking in the gutter going, oh boy. 
oh boy. And finally, finally, we kind of wedge it and we have duct tape wrapped around a rake to make it sticky and we wedge it and then we scoop it up with a shovel along the side and we pull it out and my poor playbook is covered in icky, slimy, dicky, blech. Everybody say blech. It was gross. I don't know what was on there, but it was brown, it was yellow, and it did not smell well. My, my playbook ruined. What am I going to tell my teacher? I've lost my script. Many, many important pages blotted out with poo. Just gross. The situation just stinks. So I'm looking at my playbook and I'm thinking about this journey that we're beginning over the next 31 weeks, as you can see on our, our banners up here. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm just asking the question, maybe it's not so different for us. It's, it's almost like we're holding a script too in the pages of our lives and we're missing some really important clues. Or maybe for some of you, you're saying, you know what? I'd like to start over. I'm not really excited about my story today. I, I, I'd like a different script. What sort of tale have we fallen into? Well, depending on how we answer that question will determine just about everything in life, whether you've found the right script or not. So if we don't have a, a bigger story, if we don't have something to tie up all the loose ends of our sometimes random lives, well, we start living in what I would call smaller stories. Smaller stories. We start uh, deciding, well, I'm going to decide what's worth living for. And so we start living for the next promotion at work. We start living for, well, I need to have the best social life. And, or maybe it's, I, I'm going to make finding a spouse, finding a mate, the very center of my universe. And that's what I'm going to live for. We get wrapped up in smaller stories like, like sports or even good hobbies or maybe the latest gossip or whatever's going on on Facebook. Some of us just get addicted to work and being busy. And not that we shouldn't desire some of these things, but then when they're made the center of our universe, when they're made the plot of our story, well, at best, they're cheap substitutes for the real thing. And at the end of the day, none of those things can satisfy. They can't answer the deeper questions of life like, who am I? <laughs> no, not what you do. Who are you? What is your identity? And what is your purpose? Why do you exist on this planet they can't answer those questions because they were never meant to. We've lost the big story. We've lost the big picture, the plot that ties it all together. And at some point for all of us, and maybe this has happened for you already, imagine with me a country road where the roads cross. And you are standing right in the middle of that intersection, deciding which way to go. At some point in our lives, we all come to a crossroads and we're forced to answer the question, who is going to write your story? Who is going to be the author of your story? Who's holding the pen? Who's calling the shots for you? Whatever you think is best to meet your needs, just, just do whatever makes you feel good. Are you holding the pen? Are you the author of your story? Or... Will you let the one who made you be the author of your story? And I think if we'll listen closely, we'll hear a longing, we'll see it in the universe, this longing to be connected with something much bigger than we are. 
So as we enter into these 31 weeks of the story, I want you to take a look at this short video and listen not only with your eyes and with your mind, listen with your heart. Let's take a look. If you could, everybody grab your Bible with me, whether it's your story Bible or uh, the Bibles that are in the, in, the, in the rows, just hold those with me for a second. When we talk about these big questions of life, that book that you hold in your hands this morning is what offers us the bigger picture. That book that you hold in front of you this morning is not just another book off the bookshelf. It is the story that gives meaning and context to the script of your life. And I cannot tell you how excited I am for us to be a church that doesn't just talk about reading the Bible, but that really reads it. I mean, I'm more excited than a Hawkeye field goal. <laughs> I am really, really excited to see what this is going to do in and through us because, folks, the story can change our lives if we'll let it. If we'll let it. So let's open up our scriptures today to our scripture for the day from 2 Timothy. And it turns out this is the exact same truth that the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, the importance of knowing this story. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I don't know if you've ever found yourself wondering, so... Really, when, we, when John, when you say read the Bible, is that just like a churchy thing? Is that just like a Christian, good Christian thing to say that you, you kind of appease your conscience as a pastor to make sure that you remind your congregation to read their Bibles? Is that what this is? I mean, why is it so important? I read lots of books. I get lots of fun, insightful ideas. Why is this one so important? And I believe that as we look at this passage that Shirley read for us this morning, we're going to discover three key reasons among many, among many. This is by no means an exhaustive list. We're going to discover three key reasons that this is the greatest story of all time and that it is absolutely crucial, absolutely crucial that you know this story. So if you're following along at home, if you're keeping score, number one, number one is simply this. It is the word of God. It is the word of God. Look at verse 16 in our scripture for today. It's an easy way to remember this. All scripture is God-breathed. 2 Timothy uh, 3.16. Do you know another famous 3.16? Right? John 3.16, right? So if you're ever wondering, hey, where's this scripture at? Just think 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says this. All scripture. All scripture is what? God-inspired or God-breathed, whatever your translation says. God-breathed, meaning inspired by the heart of God. His words, not our, our words. Yes, God used human authors. Those words are penned by people just like you and me, broken and perfect people. But what sets that story that you hold in your hands this morning apart from every other book that you're going to read, it is the breath of God. Just try to get your mind around that for a second, okay? God breathed these stories into existence. He divinely inspired these human writers to tell one cohesive story from Genesis to Revelation. Not just a bunch of random stories, not just a bunch of nice little cute quotes that you can throw up on your wall. One cohesive story that is all about God. 
It's not, when we say God's word, it's not just some like name that some marketing firm came up with because they wanted to sell a lot of books, right? right? Like Zondervan's out there and like, what should we call this book that was written by God? Let's call it God's word and then a lot of people will buy it, right? It's not some marketing scheme. It really is God's word. And because of that, it has the ability to speak to us and to speak to us at a level that no other book can, that no one else can at the depths of our soul. In fact, the book of Hebrews puts it this way. Maybe you're familiar with this verse. Let's read this together. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. God wants to breathe life into your soul. With all due respect, Harry Potter can't do that. With all due respect, the Hunger Games can't do that. What the writer of Hebrews is getting at here, there is a level that God's word can speak to us in our lives that no other book can to the point of dividing bone and marrow. Now, I'm not going to get all like that because I get a little oozy and I'm not good with all that stuff. But think about that. Think about how intimately woven bone and marrow is and, and, and the muscles and, and the veins in your body. At that depth, the writer of Hebrews says, God's word speaks into our lives. Those words are alive. And if we would listen very closely, we might hear those words as well. Because here's the thing. You might be sitting there thinking, great, these are God's words of old. These were written thousands of years ago. And yes, they were. But would you believe that God is still speaking today? And he wants to speak to you, John 16, chapter 12, Jesus says to his disciples, I have so much more to tell you. <laughs> Three years can't contain it all. I have so much more to tell you. Again, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me and they will listen to my voice. In this passage, Jesus is just talking about a sheep herder in Israel with a flock of stinky sheep. He's talking about the most basic, basic aspect of our relationship with God. He's always speaking, especially through that book you hold in front of you. He's always speaking. The question is, are we listening? The question is, are we listening? It's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but uh, are there certain people in your life that just when they speak, you're not, you can't see them, but, but over the phone or if you hear them from a distance, you just know who they are? You have those people in your life, right? People that you're really close to. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, um, but do you ever get those calls and you have no idea? Who, like it goes ring, ring, and you pick up the phone and you and you hear the other person on the line say, "Hey, man," or "Hey, dude." If it's a guy and if it's a girl, it's like, "Hey, lady," or what do you women say? Hey, girlfriend, right? Right? So you pick up the phone and the person on the other end of the line is like, "Hey, girlfriend," and you're like, "Hey." girlfriend, right? Or dude. And, and you're like, I have no idea who this is. And it's probably some long lost friend from high school that thinks you're better friends than you are. And I don't know what to do. And uh, they say, hey, how are you? Still have no idea who they are. Hey, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Oh, just wonderful. And they just go off about their life. And so you have no idea who it is. So you're like, so how's work. Oh, work is just great. I love my job. And they're just going off and telling you uh, their life story. And you just go on and on and on and on. And, and 
every ounce of you in this conversation just wants to say, who is this? Right? I don't know who this is. Stop talking to me, right? I don't know who you are. And the reason is you don't recognize their voice. You don't recognize their voice. But think about if that person were to call you every single day and you would talk every single day and you would recognize their voice and they could just simply call you and say, hey. And you'd say, hey. And you start right in. You have those people in your life that even if you haven't seen them for a while, you still know their voice and you can just pick up right from where you left off. But then imagine not only if you just talked from a distance, but imagine if you actually had a relationship with that person. Imagine if you actually did life together with that person. After a while, because you know them, so you don't only know their voice, but you've spent so much time with them and you've seen them interact in different uh, situations, no matter what the circumstance, you can find yourself saying, oh, I bet I know how they would respond in this situation. You know what I'm saying? Spouses, you know this, right? This is exactly what my husband would say. This is exactly what my wife would say. Best friends, this is exactly what my friend would say or do in that situation. And I wonder if that's true of our earthly relationships. Why would it not be the same with our relationship with God? One of the main reasons we want you to be immersed in this story is that you're going to start to recognize God. You're going to start to recognize how he speaks you're going to start to recognize how he acts, what his character is like. Because here's the thing. Think about this for a second. If we don't take the time to know, to read these stories of how God has acted and spoken to people in the past, why do we think that we're going to be able to know how God wants to act and speak now? When you get to know somebody's character from the past, you can anticipate how they're going to act and speak in the future. And that's how it is in our relationship with God. Not, what I'm not saying is, oh, John just tells me if I read my Bible more, then God's going to give me all the answers I want. No, that's not what I'm saying. God is not a vending machine, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, God's not a vending machine. Just remind him really quick. God's not a vending machine where you, I just, oh, I put in my time. I put in my two hours of reading the Bible today. And so now shoot me out my answers, God. He's not a vending machine. God is a kind and loving father that wants every single one of us to crawl up on his lap and listen to his heart. Why is this story, this story so important? Because it's the word of God and it's for you. And secondly, that leads us to the next point. The next reason why reading the story is so important, it's not just God's story. It's your story. It's your story. You see, one of the barriers that I think we often put up with, with God's words is it's simply like some out-of-date history book about how God used to relate to his people, about how God used to speak. And it's easy to think that, that uh, God's word is simply uh, uh, an upper story that doesn't really touch our lives, doesn't really touch our lower story. And out of the prop room comes prop number one for the day. We use this for setup today, but it also doubles as a great sermon prop. So the truth is, what you're going to discover over the next 31 weeks is that in every Bible story that you're going to discover, there is what uh, scholars and, and, and leaders around the country call an upper story and a lower story. Everybody say upper, upper. 
Everybody say lower. Good. Ladies, you can say low. I'm joking. All right. So the lower story is our story. The lower story is the story of people in the Bible. The lower story is told from about a six-foot view. Just what we can see. It's, it's a horizontal view. This is what we know. This is what happened. The upper story, on the other hand, is God's story. Because God has a different view than we do. God has more of a vertical view. God has a holistic view of what's going on. God, the God that wrote your story, is not bound by time and space. So we have our upper story, and we have our lower story. And that's where it becomes your story. To give you a, a, a thought about this, think about in a couple weeks, we're going uh, to talk about Noah. In, in the lower story, we read about a crazy man who builds a boat during a drought, right? That's the lower story. But if you look a little bit deeper, in the upper story, we see a God that loves families. It's a love story. And it's about a God who is faithful and never going to let us go. All throughout the scriptures, upper and lower story. Uh, think about Joseph. If you know the, the story of Joseph, uh, Joseph and what we call his technicolor dream coat, right? In the, in the lower story, we see uh, a sibling rivalry and we see uh, family dysfunction. Can anybody relate with family dysfunction? Amen. Right? That's the lower story. But in Joseph, the upper story is about a God who's committed to freeing his people from slavery. Changes your whole perspective. And in scripture, we're invited to know both the upper and the lower story. Yet, in the upper story, the, 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 what we see is, from God's perspective, a, a glimpse into what he sees. And here's the beautiful thing. Every story in the Bible contains practical wisdom from the upper story to help us dwell in the lower story. God is using every story in scripture to remind us you're not so different. So let me ask you a couple questions this morning. Have you ever struggled to control your anger? Okay, you don't have to raise your hand. Right? You ever struggled to uh, control your anger? Have you ever uh, struggled to get along with your family? Right? Right? Go ahead and read about the first brothers, Cain and Abel. Have you ever doubted yourself and wondered if you could be used by God? I want you to read about my friend Moses. Right? Ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulders? You should get to know a poor peasant girl named Mary who gave birth to a pretty important son. Because this story is your story. It could not be more relevant to you today. And that's why, back to our scripture in Timothy today, that's why Paul tells Timothy, look at verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is what? Is useful. Not high and lofty and up in the clouds and oh, I can't identify with God's story. But it is useful, Paul writes to Timothy, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. The story you hold in front of you today is the greatest handbook, the greatest source of wisdom, useful for when? Today. Today and tomorrow, not just someday far away in the clouds, God, tell me how I can get to heaven. Scripture is for you, for right now, here, today. And here's the best part. If there was any doubt that our God, if there was any doubt that the upper story of God was somehow distant or out of touch, 
God does the most amazing thing in the history of the world, and this is the central message of the entire story. The author of the story, God himself, dwelling high and above, decides, I love them too much to stay up here. And the God of the universe, the author of the story, enters the lower story. John chapter 1 verse 14 puts it this way, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's a powerful statement. You see, every other religion, most other world religions have this view of God where only if I can be a better person, only if I can be better and, and earn my way to eternal life or to, or to appease the God somehow and not make them angry. Every single other world religion is about people that are trying to climb up to God, but not yours, not your story. No, folks, in our story, the God of the universe comes down the ladder to us and says, you are good enough because I'm good enough. Because I have paid the price for you and I have set you free, not to earn your salvation and forgiveness by being better, but by trusting in what I've already done. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Your savior came down the ladder, down from heaven to meet you right in the middle of your story. The climax of God's story is about a hero when we thought, think about this plot for a second, about a hero when we thought all was lost <laughs> comes through and saved the day. You ever watched a movie, read a book with that plot before? <laughs> a hero when we thought all was lost comes through and saves the day. And the greatest thing about this story is it's not made up. It's true. And yet there's one final reason that I want to share with you today, one huge reason today why you need to know the story. And it's this, if you're keeping score at home, it gives your story a divine purpose. We need to know the story so that we know that we have a holy calling, a divine purpose. Look again at uh, last part of verse 16, moving into 17. Why do we need to know the story? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What Paul's saying to Timothy is not know the scriptures just so you can have more head knowledge. Know so that we may be equipped, so that we may be moved into action. That's why we have the story. If you read God's word and you are not propelled into mission, then you're not reading the right story. Or you're reading it the wrong way. I, I, I don't know how you can read God's word and not say, I, I'm a part of this. Does anyone, uh, uh, does anyone love Acts 29, that chapter of the Bible? You ever heard of Acts 29? You should, because it doesn't exist. Because we're Acts 29. We're the rest of the story. Where God's story meets the lower story of scripture, comes right down to you. We are Acts 29. We are the church planting movement that the early church started. We are those believers that have been called to go and share the good news with those around us. If you read God's story and you're not propelled into action, then somehow you're missing the point, which brings me back to the Hawkeyes. 
because we're biblical, remember? I love everything about college football, and this is where we'll end today. I, I love everything about college football. Uh, unfortunately, there's one thing that is, that is more incredibly frustrating to me than anything else, and believe it or not, it's not losing nine to six. After being glued to the television yesterday all afternoon, I don't know about you, but all I wanted to do was get in the game. I was getting bleacher butt in my own living room, right? Maybe I needed to get up more often, right? But all I wanted to do was get in the game. Instead of being filled up with snacks, I would have much rather experienced the thrill of being out in the crisp September air in a Hawkeye football uniform going, do that today when you go outside, right? We were created to, to, to breathe it in, to, to experience the thrill of being in the game. But the scene at Kinnick Stadium yesterday and the scene at college football stadiums all over the country and at National Football League stadiums all over the country today is this picture. There's a few people, 10, 11, 12 people running off and on the field. Uh, 10, 11, 12 people get to actually play the game while thousands, even millions, are sitting passively by in the stadium or on their TVs. A few people on the field in the game, millions of people sitting passively by just watching. Great for college football. Terrible for the church. Great for college football. Terrible for the mission of God. Backwards for people that are living in God's story. We have not been given the Bible so that we can simply say, oh, that's nice. Those were a few nice little inspirational quotes. We have been given God's word, Timothy says, so that we might be equipped for every good work to get on the field. And I don't know what it is for you today, but on this rally Sunday, I would challenge you. I would plead with you, get in the game. Get on the field. You've sat on the sidelines long enough. Get in the game and breathe the cool, crisp air of God's spirit that he wants to breathe into your life through his holy word. Get in the game. And I don't know what that looks like for you today, but maybe it's getting on one of our, our serving teams within the church here. Maybe it's jumping into one of those three ways to grow, whether it's core, a, a life group, or jumping in and going deeper with the story during the week. What's your next step today? Or maybe it's simply asking God to reignite your first love. And so today I'll end where I started with a question. How's your walk with God these days? In the book of Revelation, John records a message to the church in Ephesus. And he gives them a laundry list. He's speaking to the church, just like I'm speaking to you today. And he gives them a whole laundry list of everything that they've done well. You've served the poor. You've reached out into your community. You're active. You're, 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 you're worshiping every week. You're telling all your neighbors about Jesus. You're good at being so busy for God. You're so good at that. But then Jesus turns and he says this to them, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you're anything like me, it's really easy to make the Christian life so complicated. It's really easy to get so busy and so distracted by so many things in our lives. And I so know so many of you today, if I asked you, how are things going, you'd say, busy. Busyness might be the greatest enemy of the Christian life. 
Follow me, Jesus says, and return to your first love. It's easy to get distracted and forget that our number one call in this life is to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. And I cannot think of a better way to do that than to read the book. Folks, read the book. Let's be a church that really does it. Let's be a church that remembers our first love. And maybe you're saying, John, that's... (laughs) To be honest, that's me today because I can't remember the last time I've opened my Bible. And I feel so guilty because you just preached a whole bleeming sermon about reading the Bible. We're not here today to make you feel guilty. Jesus turns to you and he says, repent, turn the other way, and do the things you did at first. Let's be a church that reads the Bible. Let's be a church that prays because we believe that God answers prayer. Let's return to our first love. We read the Bible not out of guilt, but simply because we love the story. Today, today, I pray that we would accept the invitation of Jesus Christ to return to our first love. Let's stand and pray.